All right, here we go. All right. Folks, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. And for a lot of musicians, uh, they didn't necessarily grow up in a musical household. Uh, uh, parents might have been like side, you know, on the side as a hobby or something, but not necessarily with, with a parent who's a road dog musician, successful in the music industry, record-based music industry. Uh, and I get a chance today to speak to his son, who has uh, continued on in his own way, uh, down in Tulsa, um, you know, playing from his heart and playing from his soul and recognizing that um, the most important thing in this life is to make a difference. And that's what my show is about. Matt Teagarden, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hi there. Wow. Really well, well uh, spoken. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, brother. <laughs> you know, is it fair to say that, I mean, were you, um, did, how early on were you spending time like in the, in the studio with your father? Uh, man, some of my first memories probably are, yeah, being there and watching my dad play, not only play drums, but kind of work and engineer at his, uh, studio. And so it was, uh, kind of. From the get go, I was around it. Can you talk about what you picked up on? Like, can you talk about in the engineering techniques that he used? I mean, it was such a different vibe. I guess he had his. Did you have your own studio built into the house? Um, that was uh before my time at his uh at a house with my two brothers that he uh, had a oh studio. Oh my god, dude. this is legendary stuff. <laughs> Yeah, pretty ahead, crazy. Man. And then he moved it uh, kind of to a, a farmhouse south of uh, Tulsa, about 45 minutes. And uh, then now it's uh, near downtown Tulsa, really. Just kind of smack dab in the middle of it. And uh, so it's been, I've seen it at two different locations, and it's been amazing seeing the gear change and what stays the same, you know, and, and now I do a lot of the playing of growing up. I was seeing him play and, and my brother, I have a brother, David Jr. Who's a drummer as well. And he's the oldest of the boys. Well, when they, like all I'm saying is that you probably are aware of this, but there was like a record made, at his at, there was a house in suburban michigan i guess the, yes. the, the whole thing that's fascinating to me i want you to this is more like but like to me like there's some concept there that there was no other uh band that just fronted b3 and drums in in, in the country anyway right 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 yeah I mean, is that fair to say there was no there was no duo that would like tour like that I mean, maybe I'm wrong. No. I don't know. No, not that I can uh, think of. Um, close was the Lee uh, Michaels uh, ah, band, yeah. and uh, but that that was about it. He played bass though with his left hand, not doing the bass pedals. Right, exactly. And uh, yeah, Skip exactly. Van Winkle. Huge, yeah, Skip. Van, go ahead. Yeah, he he kind of as a kid was like well i think you're supposed to walk the bass lines completely with your feet <laughs> so 
that's what I'm going to learn. And so he learned it like that. And so, I mean, this what a is spectacle. unbelievable. I, so, so you came at what point in your dad's life did you and your mom, did, did you come along? I mean, I was a bit later in my dad's life. So he was about 50 when I was born. And uh, my awesome. mom is his second wife. And then uh, he has two boys, uh, my older brothers, with his first wife. And then I have a sister who's uh, older, four years older than me. Wow, that's fantastic. So, I mean, what did you, in terms of like, um, I mean, going back to the engineering part of it, what what was what were some of the things that stood out to you as, as, as an engineer that he was very savvy at? uh god i mean his drum mixes were always great always always top top notch and of course i mean i want to say now he doesn't do as much engineering because he's not it's pretty hard for him jumping into pro tools and and all of that but i mean he still can set up mics and all of that but mainly has a hired engineer for nowadays but I mean, grew up working with tape and everything, home at home <laughs> and everything. I mean, has an amazing story. His first tape recorder he bought from a guy here in Tulsa. And he had J.J. Kale come over. They grew up together and they uh, did some recording on this little Sony four track he had. But uh, so, is, I, mean, I mean, that is so freaking absolutely <laughs> that was me. very early on very young my dad was you know right he was still he was in uh he hadn't left he hadn't where did they where did they move i feel i thought for some reason i, got, I thought they were up in like in the detroit area yes my dad um in about 68 right uh him and skip van winkle ended up moving up to uh near detroit living outside of there because uh they were you know of course obsessed with the motown thing and every all of that detroit sound but moved there and it was kind of they realized already came and went but they established quite a name up there in the late 60s early 70s as tea garden and van winkle and that's where they they met bob seeger there and uh, my dad got kind of linked up with him. Wow. And uh, and so him, Skip, and Seeger did some shows together, which must have been amazing <laughs> to see. Holy <laughs> cow, man. Yeah. Yeah. Very early on Seeger, too. Yeah. Early yeah, early Seeger. There's no tapes of that. No, uh, wow. but there is a record on on YouTube. It, really? it was released through Capitol called Smokin' OPs, Smokin' Other People's Songs. <laughs> and uh, it's a great, <laughs> great album design. It looks like a Lucky Strike package. Right. Oh, man. And every, like, 20 years, Seeger will release it for a limited time. But it's not, like, it's really hard to find. 
but uh that anyway that so has skip, skip is playing organ and bass on it and then my dad drums seeger singing and then a legendary guitar player from tulsa as well uh mike bruce they brought up wow. he had been touring with bobby blue bland and mm. yeah great great album but I mean, Seeger, I don't think, really cared for it that much later on. Limited time release. There's something, there's something that, well, that's, I don't know if nostalgia is the right word. Let me ask you just your own personal question. I mean, to me, um, you know, studio recording has been expensive for a long time. And obviously, it's it, money is different in a lot of ways today than it was then. But still, um, in terms of like, uh how do you mic the drum kit i i am just some somewhat someone that lives on records the way yeah those early tea garden and manwinkle albums uh the way they recorded like they're like there's minimal placement maybe one, uh an, one overhead or a left right overhead and one for the kick drum you know but like today modern yeah. recording is like you know, they they mic every part of the drum, and so there's no good leakage. You know, I just wanted you to rip right. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, they back then were working. They were broke and working with right. what they what they had. Like my dad, I've asked him growing up, like, "What do you use on this Tea Garden and Van Winkle album?" He's like, "Man, I can't freaking remember <laughs> what car I was driving that." at that time but uh <laughs> you know it was a lot of minimal stuff and uh, a lot of using just a f three four mics on the drums which i now because of growing up with all that am a huge fan of like i love that not only minimalism of just having like one overhead one snare one kick mic but the risk of it too because it makes it's more on on you the drummer or musician to kind of mix yourself you know absolutely but, and i love that but uh it's funny uh the engineer at my dad's studio here in tulsa it's tea garden studios uh he's pretty into having it all mic'd every piece and you know there's that sounds great too it's kind of uh just personal preference you know how did you learn to play? When was the first time or an early experience where you showed up? Maybe you didn't necessarily know the person you were recording with, but you know, you, you, um, honed your sound to the room and, uh, learned how to that skill. I think that skill is an underrated skill. Yes. Kind of mixing yourself in. Mixing yourself. That's yeah. what mixing yourself. That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah. That, like, like a seminal mixing moment for, for Matt Teagard. Uh, I probably early on seeing my, my dad play and, and just at jam sessions too, probably just like getting to, uh, I'd hear him play and then another drummer and be like, man, I can't hear that guy's bass drum at all or anything on this group and it'd be like i remember talking to my dad after that occasion or whatever and he's like yeah they they don't hit the bass drum hard enough i can never hear it and it's like yeah that's really important and then i think 
where it really clicked was, you know, reading about John Bonham for sure was, you know, he's only on a few mics and listen to those drums. Like, uh, yeah. It was like, wow. Okay. It's really him doing a lot of the work. Yeah. That, you know, Tony Williams, same kind of thing, you know? Yes. You know, um, so your, your dad can't deal with the lack of humanity within the music, like going into Pro Tools and do, it's just a little bit too mechanical now. Like he would prefer to do, he just knows the analog. Yeah, he knows the analog better, but it's funny. We we kind of recently uh, had a tape machine for a while, a Studer 24 track. And, sure. And it was kind of like, oh, he kind of is into it. But, uh, you know, once it was kind of time for maintenance, and, man, that's expensive. Uh, yeah. You got to buy, like, leader tapes and stuff. And he was like, yep, I hate this, this shit. Uh <laughs> Uh, let's yeah get rid of it let's do keep doing pro tools even though he it's just so cumulative you know the pro tools learning curve it can be i mean he's 77 now and he he went to some classes in nashville god 20 years ago for pro tools and kind of got the hang of it but yeah uh, he just lets the engineer mainly handle that absolutely I'm trying to, I'm just now getting into recording at my, my own house and stuff. So I'm trying to get versed in it. It's hard. What are the challenges? Um, just like setting up to me. I mean, it's very silly. It's cause I grew up with my dad, but it's just, uh, um, the, uh, like opening up a session and then setting the tracks and everything that's just the hard part for me it's not the miking and playing is easy but uh i'm getting the hang of it <laughs> no let me ask you what i mean when you say just to a non to a lay person what is setting the tracks mean? Getting like, 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 like getting levels but then making sure in your software that um you have the correct like this this first mic is on the is in the first track and uh and then the second mic you just have to like assign and make sure all your inputs are correct and you just kind of got to really make sure you know what you're doing in that sense why and, are uh, why in a lot of modern pop music have they eliminated the space uh between um you know, in the, with the drum, it's like very quantized. I just feel like rhythm has become more and more quantized. And you have, you know, human beings that are playing machine parts. And, of course. And that, you know, that was, how do you feel like, Is do you feel like just through your own life force on the bandstand um, that that's your contribution back to getting people to, to be themselves on, uh, and, and, and find their own voice? sure sure yeah i mean in a way the drummer is kind of the closest person in layman's terms to the audience like i mean i know there's a front man singing and stuff but uh oh the leader of the band you know yeah totally. yeah the hu yeah. the human part of drumming yeah. But there's a lot of, you know, argument people when they're in the recording process, well, it's easier to edit and stuff because we're doing it with this click. But 
Yeah, it sure does take away for as a as a drummer, seeing it take away some of the feel that's actually close to humans, you know. Right. I think it is uh in the end people don't dig it as much as a real drum kit in the room or real person making rhythm, you know. But um, how do you uh I mean, can you talk about, um, you know, as far as what you think the, the greatest qualities of leadership are uh, on the bandstand? Uh, who's the best leader you've worked for? Man, uh, good question. Man, probably one of the one of the first guys that comes to mind is a guy here in Tulsa, Paul Benjamin. And uh He's prolific, dude, just leads tons of different bands. Because, I mean, the Tulsa thing is, and I mean, it's now, it's how it is in Nashville and in a lot of places, but there's no one, when a band is playing a lot, it's not, they don't have one drummer, one set basis, you know, it's got to be a vault changing. It's incestual here in Tulsa because one guy will be out on the road one week. And so you can't use just one drummer, right? Right. And uh no, that's interesting. How does that affect that is interesting because that keeps the music uh pretty fresh. I mean unpredictable. Yes. You just kind of have to have a basic form to tell people. But anyway, Paul Benjamin is probably the best at I mean band leader I've been around that's just lets you bring your own sound while nicely it asking you maybe bring it back a little bit back to yeah. earth you know or or something like right no, just doing play. it in a very yeah that, that's the best class the class yeah. classy way but he's not worried about what you're doing that's kind of the a bit like a weird peeve i guess of mine is like a guy like worrying about too much of what the other guys are doing it's just like man just play and it'll come together and if exactly if really man. Hard, We'll talk about it later, but it's it's hard. It's sometimes hard like that. Talking to Matt T. Garden here on the Jake Feinberg Show. Um, where do you feel like you need to grow the most? Uh, you know, in your, uh, you know, as a person or, or a player. I mean, at this point, like, sure. are you a, explain also how you've cultivated relationships in order to be a um, a full-time musician sure uh yeah that's the tricky part <laughs> it's tricky cultivating and letting relationships flourish while trying to full-time music it but uh it's uh been really interesting man uh and where i want to grow uh i don't know i i wouldn't mind uh the only thing I can think of, I'm very happy with where I am and who I'm playing with and everything and gigs I'm playing, but uh, I personally need to go back into the woodshed and learn to read, like, sight read. <laughs> you interesting, know, really get good at reading uh, charts. I always have this weird, uh, like, Catholic guilt, like, you need to know how to read. You don't know. <laughs> I kind of, I grew up playing, I started on piano, so I I know it's in there. I'm versed in it, but I just 
have been lazy. Have you lost get opportunities for studio work because of of your reading chops, or or just something? Mm -hmm. Probably have lost studio work that I'll never even know of, but I've lost a few gigs because I I couldn't read charts, and one probably was permanently scarring it was just like i played like a musical or something which was a huge thing i never even knew what it was like to play you know like a broadway type play as sure. a drummer sure and oh my god that was a whole world i'm glad i d did it it was a crazy experience but they're like yeah we're gonna have to get a drummer who can read charts sorry but it was more than it was like you got to be strong at reading charts and then watching the stage as the people are doing the song. Oh my gosh. Yo, yo, honestly, yeah, like guys. that is, yeah. No, and, and cats, I mean, that is something that you do have to woodshed on, you know, but yes, you know, like Ringling, Ringling brothers, Barnum and Bailey, it wasn't a circus thing. It was like a Broadway show. Yes. Yeah. Like a, a coordinated uh, dance act, you know, I mean, pretty amazing. What was so starring, those guys what was starring about? Killers. What was starring about? Oh, I think just watching the director like, oh, no, I don't think this guy has ever played a freaking musical. Uh, this drummer that <laughs> you can tell when he doesn't know a song or uh, doesn't know when it's supposed to end right on the dot. But uh, it was I. It was funny. I had a lot of friends in that band or whatever, and they're all like, "I don't know what's going on either." But it was kind of mainly on on me, and uh, but it it was a a good experience though. I say it was scarring, but it was just like right. it solidified my belief. Those guys are badass players, and uh, yeah, that's I have this yearning for till I die. That's like, man, I need to be versed in that area because i can do the feels you know shuffle all that but i mean in some ways the the uh if you have if you can play a really good shuffle then you know you're 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 gonna not just be employable but like it's an asset to any uh blues rock or you know fusion, yes fusion band you know big time you know did you, did you what's your what's your preferred Mike set up on your drum kit when when uh what what do you think is optimal man i just just probably i mean i uh when it just comes down to it kick snare hi-hat and a cymbal really i mean when it's just like come on man throw and go <laughs> don't know what the gig's gonna be or how big of an area i'll have but uh usually i mean i have a rack tom and floor and then like a crash so two cymbal stands hi-hat and uh then the drums and uh i just kind of use a ludwig snare drum as my main a superphonic as my main snare and tune it on the go you know for the, uh, whatever the gig is wow well, how would you describe? Um, you said to to uh, Tulsa is like Nashville. Um, I mean, Nashville seems like uh, I don't know. I have a buddy, Zephaniah Hora. I don't know if you ever met him before, but he uh, oh, sounds yeah, familiar. Yeah, he's a singer out of uh, New York, but he uh, he just 
God damn it, they're opening a, a skinny dentist too, or a skinny dentist Nashville. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to that, that club in Brooklyn, but um, no. Yeah, so I'm just wondering how it, is it is it that it's still like locally owned support for for Tulsa, or is there a lot of uh, you know like I went up to Boise, my brother's the editor of the uh, the paper up there, and uh, you know it's like a, a lot of banks came in and like that city is just thriving but Tulsa strikes me as just more much more old school it is it's weird it, it is really old school there's no like a uh, backbone of music business here exactly it's just a bunch of musicians and music lovers wow. uh and uh I mean there's not a huge amount of venues or anything but the few that's that have it have it every night and uh and are killing it right now who is tell me you know the the, the reason that this uh came together and it's such an honor is that uh i wanted how did you first connect with uh brother jesse acock oh heck yeah yeah i was gonna bring up jesse at one point anyway because honestly like that guy man like i i mean i owe you guys a trip i really i i yeah, you need to get out here, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, it's absolutely on the calendar. Twenty four. Uh, yeah. Nashville and, and Tulsa are on the list, so you know it's. Yeah, uh, but yeah, with Jesse, like, um, I'm not going to pretend to know him all that well, but I just love his demeanor and his vibe and how, and sort yes. of his, his intention for playing music, you know. Yes, you don't have to know Jesse all that well to know Jesse, and he's a sweet, sweetheart. Uh, I've known him. He's I've known him before I was like on the scene. I just uh, his dad is kind of a prominent Tulsa guy, and and has a great radio show here, in, a local radio show called really? Folk Salad. Scott Acock is his dad, and. Uh, so, yeah, and Jesse, God, I'm trying to think. Like, speaking of that Paul Benjamin band I was talking about, that my first time playing with Jesse was probably with Paul. Paul, Paul leading Benjamin. the band. And yeah. Jesse's oh. just so instantly uh, a great, great guy, great friend. And I've just this year played a ton of great gigs with him. And, uh, he he is the the epitome kind of the Tulsa thing, just of playing by ear and playing to the song, you know. Hell of a um accompanist and soloist too. Yeah, I wanted to read this to you in terms of playing with Jesse, you know, this is from yeah. uh uh Dennis Coffey, a great guitar, one of the funk brothers out of Motown. He said, uh, you know, he said, each time, you, I never give my guys charts. I give them chord sheets. Stuff just comes out, and afterwards, the guys on the bandstand say, where, say, where did that come from? I said, I have no idea. So the, the point here is, 
introducing original music. Do you guys uh, do a lot of music with charts, or is it all just basically playing by ear? It's a lot of playing by ear, yeah. Uh, not a lot of charts. Uh, don't like you know if it's in the studio and kind of writing the song on the fly, there'll be chord charts and and things. Um, and I mean, a lot of band leaders kind of do know, like because of this, you know, using different musicians all the time, backing guys. Right. They do usually have chord charts somewhere <laughs> put away or on their phone to send a guy. Uh, but sure. usually, a lot of the gigs are. Yeah, this one's in G and it's a one, four, five. And yeah, follow me. That's it. <laughs> it's a shuffle or whatever. How deep have you played stone jazz gigs in your life? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of grew up playing uh, more traditional like jazz and uh, school and stuff. Like, like, like uh, post bop kind of stuff? Yeah, bop and post bop. Yeah, bop and post bop. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and so that that uh was interesting growing up with, and then now kind of being in a more lax uh, kind of scene. Tulsa has a great jazz scene, but uh, it's pretty. Uh, it's kind of small, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like, but, what was that like? Like. What the uh, when you were growing up, like, would you, would you got when you got to a certain level, you'd uh, would you play with your dad? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we what one of the best kind of catalysts for, for gosh, I guess my playing and, and everything, just getting to know how to play with people was there used to be um, these Monday night jam sessions oh, at a I love uh, that. yeah at a at a mansion down well kind of near downtown called har weldon it's still there and everything but um they have a late night jam session this guy ted moses uh he just died a few years ago but what he would put it on and it was great and finally i grew up got enough nerve to sit in with uh with the the group so it's kind of like my dad and i got to share each other's licks and stuff and then later when i was like a junior of 16 or 17 in high school my dad and i played double drums in a uh, allman brothers tribute band called big tree and man that was super fun where are the tapes of that dude there's there's some somewhere no we got to break that out immediately yes Yes. And so, yeah, there was the birth of my loving, like, all my brothers and stuff. And, like, because I had not really grown up with that. And my dad was like, yeah, it's some crazy shit. Like, just, fo- I, I, like, my dad was kind of more like, you got to learn all this stuff so I can follow you, man. And I was like, okay. And, yeah, went through the catalog, man. Yeah, it was fun. It was only was, a few your dad gigs. Because, but... so, like, I mean, what, did you play that traditional butch trucks jmo rolls together sort of not authentically at all but yeah like, I mean, you I, played your own your own shit stuff you know yes yes i'd follow kind of the main drum beat of the the butch trucks stuff and then yeah my dad would kind of be doing 
on his own. His I mean, own your dad had like the, the, I mean, the base, the, I mean, the pocket is insane. Yes, his pocket is nuts. Yeah. It's, I mean, like the, uh, the, uh, T Garden then went. I mean that that stuff, man, is like next level, man. It's unreal. Yeah, yeah, it is nuts. Yeah, and no, uh, he was the pocket. No excuses, you know. Did, were they uh, able? Were they able to road dog it as a as a unit? Were they going across the yeah. states? Oh, a ton. Yeah, that's where I think my dad saw the most of touring was with with Skip. He had uh, made, um, I forget, I think it was a guy in California that would um, cut down B3s and put them in a kind of road case. Right. And uh, Skip did that. And then he came up with doing the base rig. So he wouldn't have his bass pedals going through the Leslie, you know, because it wah, 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 it would kind of make a wompy sound. He'd have those going through like a Fender Bassman amp and uh, then would have the Leslie. But God, I can't imagine the load-in and stuff, but it was just drums in that. And uh, I know they up in Michigan had roadies that would travel with them and stuff. But yeah, they traveled a ton, played uh, tons of colleges and everything, tons of festivals up north. I mean, dude, the, to me, I, I, there, I'm just looking here. It says the duo took its brand of folksy rock to Detroit. I'm like, I mean, when I hear your, you, those guys are like a freaking uh, organ jazz group. I mean, they're not playing, yes. they're not playing standards, you know, but like, no. That you're going for it, you know, it's fucking yes. burning shit. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, I mean, the, I think they cut their teeth here in Tulsa and in LA a bunch, just having to do jazz gigs and all kinds of gigs. Kind of, you know, like the theory of the Beatles, the 10,000 hour, then in Hamburg, they played their asses off so much. They playing jazz, all of that stuff. Right. To, to suit whoever in the audience. I think Skip and my dad had a ton of that they had done. They tried to go to L.A. in the mid-60s, but they were so young, they uh, couldn't play anywhere. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Well, you got to go back to that. They, uh, Skip would not play the organ through the leslie speaker was the other way around so i mean like you know his the keys were going through the leslie but the bass pedals were going through like a fender bassman or or, or some type right, of dude that is insane it sounded better yeah and that's the modern day like a lot of keyboard players now will have a bass rig where they have like their lower keys split and going through a, a low amp. Oh, it's, man. it's cool. Yeah. yeah it's man. Amazing. Wow. Well, so tell me a seminal musical experience with Jesse Acott. Hmm. Man, first thing that comes to mind is um and we played I played a awesome gig with him, God, I think pre-COVID five, six years ago now with 
the Kate brothers. It was like a stop double right there. Drummer. Stop right there, dude. I, yeah. Dude, I, dude, okay. I am what an honor that you said. I, I, I have, I, I'm going to send you my interview with them. I did like 10 years ago. About oh, eight please. Years ago. Dude, Earl, those, both those cats. Yeah. Legend. Go ahead. So, you, how'd you get the gig with them? I think it was through Jesse, maybe. I mean, I can't, it was probably like 15 guitar players on stage. It was this guy, God, I'm, my memory is awful. It was in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and at a place, I can't remember the, the venue, but a guy puts on kind of this all-star jam, and Isaiah Warford is his name, and... uh he uh, got Jesse, a bunch of Tulsa guys on it, but uh, Terry Cagle was the other drummer, and it was Dude, me. rest in peace, man. Yes, God rest his soul. Dude, I Amazing. swear to you, man, I called, I called, you know who I called? You're going to love this, dude. You know Ronnie yes. Enos? Yes. Yes, so I called Ron because I wanted to interview Cagle. This is like last year. Uh -huh. And uh, he's like, dude, he passed. You know, so I mean, dude, Terry Cagle, amazing drummer. Amazing, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was as close as I'll ever get to playing with Levon and stuff. And hold on, so as you far played, as I'm what, concerned, what, what, you played with Cagle. Yeah, yeah, double drummed with him, and it was amazing. It was, it was like watching a version of Levon and playing with and playing some of. Uh, the band songs and and then it was funny having to do it was kind of like a ring around the rosy like okay this artist we're gonna do five of his songs now this artist jesse get up and you're gonna do a blind faith song and we did the presence of the lord and it has like an odd time signature part or something in it. And it was funny playing that with Terry. He was just like, I don't fucking know. I'll follow you, man. <laughs> but uh, it was great. That was a very special night. And I got to see him not long before he passed play here in Tulsa, maybe a year, about a year ago or more. And uh, it was great. He remembered me and, everything and john davies shout out to him their bass player is a great guy that facilitates a lot of great playing and everything he was on that that all-star gig and i was like man this bass player is awesome we're instant best friends Unbelievable. And, uh, it was great all those guys in the cape brothers earl is uh, just a legend i just love that man and he's known my dad since they were children just about my dad was playing with a band in arkansas in the early 60s what yeah i oh think it was the mcs God, or something man. and Earl he and levi like, knew each other with him yeah oh wait him and levi were boys right he knew levon yeah i believe he did yeah i mean i think they were all kind of arkansas boys yeah your dad was all over the place man <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. In Tulsa, uh, why he was down there? On, he was underage playing a blues gig or something. Uh, I don't know what it would have been. Some band, the MCs, he was playing in Arkansas with, I think. But uh, I mean, he dropped out of. I didn't find this out till after I got through high school. But he dropped out of high school and 
was touring and everything, living with bands. And right. No, no, he, I mean, that was part. Well, I mean, it was, it was so lucrative to go on the road, you know? Yes. Yeah. It was a kind of no brainer at that time. You, know? you, spent like, you spent days in hotels and stuff, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was like you, you'd spend, like, I guess that's the point. What's, as a musician, because your dad was spending uh, a month at the same venue. And, you know, that yes. Was, and that was the cool thing. Like, you know, it was people were basically, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to replicate that, but what does it do to a musician and a band when you're able to? be able to play in the same space for an extended period of time as opposed to all these relentless one-night stands. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, it's a shame. It's something I kind of don't even know, but it, it's, it's, that it's prime to do that because you actually, these one-night deals, oh, it gets old in, in America. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you don't get to enjoy, oh, we're in Lubbock. There's a Buddy Holly Museum here. Well, we don't have any time because we have to go play uh, New Orleans the next night. Oh, there's so much to do there. Well, we gotta. We're getting there right before we set up, and we set up and we play, and then we gotta go somewhere else. So all you really get to see is McDonald's and come and go, uh, or uh, you know, yeah, I did. I did. Wawa or whatever your uh, local convenience store is. Wawa is great. Yeah. Um, Wawa is great. Uh, you you learn to appreciate those places. I hated them a few years ago, but so much touring, I'm like, okay, I'll take any sign of food place. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that to me, that's because also, like, no, not, they're not being a, a budget for like an adequate road group, stuff like that. Yeah. Where I would like take, where like you know you could you know you could be back for sound check but you wouldn't be have to set up all the stuff yourself all the time. I mean that to me is like just coming off the road with Grateful Shred for three days. I just uh you know they, they were able to like sleep on the tour bus for for three days. Uh, yeah, and actually be stationary. But now they're like seven shows and seven nights. Oh man, and. Uh, so you know, it's just it's it's just uh, uh, it, it's unfair to the musician to have to do it all, you know. Yes, yeah, I hear you. You're you're preaching to the choir <laughs> there. Right. I mean, what are your what do you got coming up for the end Man. of the year? And uh, yeah, what, what do you what do you got that you're looking forward to? uh let's see i uh with again mentioning that paul benjamin band i'm touring with him uh in colorado at the the end of this month and beginning of december just uh god going all over the place vale uh all kind of college towns wow and stuff and uh then i'm really excited i'm playing kane's ballroom kind of our primo venue here in tulsa on uh new year's eve i'm playing uh this year i started playing with a guy jr carroll and he's uh kind of country americana and he's really blowing up this year and i we're yeah we're playing a 
sold out Kane's show with with a bunch of people. Tommy Prine, I think John Prine's son is on it. And a girl, Caitlin Butts, I believe. And yeah, that's exciting. He's got an album we recorded recently with JR that'll be coming out next year. So plenty of things to be excited about. Yo, man, that is absolutely beautiful. I, uh, you know, do you feel like uh, grateful for for your life and, you know, for what, how your life is unfolding? I mean, to me, gratitude is staying humble and, and being grateful, uh, you know, leads to uh, further enlightenment. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, forever grateful. Um, and I kind of, I don't know, I, I, uh, I feel in a good place and like all, it's just good seeing all these Tulsa bands flourishing and, uh, everything forever. Flourishing is a strong word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Taylor Swift is flourishing, I guess you can say, but I, I just mean musically and, uh, and just proper recognition and it does seem like there is a bit of a backbone coming into Tulsa with music business and musicians are now like hey wait I can I need to stand up for myself and I need to make merch and I need to be making money and not paying other people to make money necessarily and uh and so that is great it's a great time it's a good time to be uh playing and stuff i know there's a lot to knowing how my dad grew up making great money just touring as in a crummy van and stuff but it's not like that anymore so it's kind of interesting finding new ways to uh get attention you know what's one new way that you you know sort of entrepreneurially like you know to me it's about as a journalist it's about creating content hopefully it's quality content and it's not about you and you know but it's like about some sort of point of view and you burrow in on like intensity and energy but for yeah. a musician like in ter- so like and that you know has a cosmic effect in terms of like connecting me uh you know i i uh a month ago i got i one of my interviews was picked up by the new york times and, mm-hmm. uh, and because of this person, uh, uh, Cad Russell Batiste uh, from the Batiste family in New Orleans oh, passed okay. away. And I did this cosmic interview with him two months before. Uh, and the obit writer for the New York Times found it and quoted me, referred to me as Mr. Finder. And it's uh-huh. like, and it's like, so, you know, the point is that was done through a totally different medium, you know, of being able to sell yourself which is what you're talking about yes as a musician how what are some of the new ways of trying to you know promote matt t-garden man yeah good good question again yeah that's what i'm thinking about a lot is i get this little studio of my own set up and i want to be able to you know track drums remotely or whatever is definitely it seems like i mean social media instagram is huge uh It, it's huge yeah um i was just <laughs> literally sitting around thinking this week like man i need to make a video that shows that 
me playing drums in the studio and has them sounding sick, super great. So, and make it kind of funny or something. So it gets attention. But like, I mean, with all the bands I play with, they, they have kind of that same thing going. They kind of have a shtick on, on social media or something with, uh, uh, one of the kind of main bands I play with Seth Lee Jones he is huge on Instagram because he's a guitar builder so he builds amazing looking guitars and then has amazing video content of him playing these guitars and us playing I mean he's just like a super shredder and uh so and you know I mean every week he'll send me look I mean uh this guy Blake Mills likes my video or something, and it's, and it's always like, oh my god, huge! And <laughs> no, no, kinda, I do. man, so I need to be posting some stuff like that too. Even though it's great, I'm happy I'm playing behind him in these videos and stuff. But it's like, man, yeah, I gotta catch up. Well, I mean, you know, do it in the most organic way. You know, when you feel like you need to you know, put something out, like, you know, make sure it's done as organically as possible. Of course. Yeah. And I'm, I'm totally all about that. Like I, uh, yeah, it's easy to be, to, I don't know, kind of be weird or cringy on some of this stuff. Like, you know, ask too, too handed and, uh, too hand, too much of a handout in a way like, Hey, you know, I, I see what you're doing with right. the, uh, I see your deal. <laughs> right. No, and I, it, dude, I, uh, you know, it's really been uh, an honor to connect with you, man. I look forward to uh, getting down to Tulsa. Are, are you, are you doing any touring between uh, in the next so, few months or, or what do you Yeah, say? like I said, I'll be touring with Paul uh, Benjamin in Colorado, right. uh, mainly December. Uh, early like, December. Like a two night, two nighter kind of thing. Let me see. I'm sorry. Uh, I have it. I had it pulled up in my phone. No, it's like a two week uh ordeal. So, or it's an ordeal, yeah. <laughs> ordeal, I call it. But that's just <laughs> I'm being cynical. No, uh, man, no, but it was. It, I I appreciate where you're coming from and your contributions to. The music and your willingness to continue to grow as a as a person and a player dude you're uh staying on your path bro well thank you man i i can't help but keep doing it <laughs> i know i would love um if you tell your dad i'm gonna be coming for him i'd love to do an interview with him yes man that's how i had originally heard of you was jesse had gotten me uh given me your name it was one you were wanting to do an interview with my dad and yeah we got to do that all right so let's i mean uh just let him know it would be a high honor uh and uh whatever i you know wants to do it over the phone or resume whatever he prefers but if he's up for it i would really love it yes heck yeah and i mean for 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 uh ease for him i can you can just call me or whatever we can set up i can facilitate it so Perfect. he doesn't have to screw with his phone right, so, yeah we'll be in touch about it and then uh we'll set a time awesome well oh, it's a pleasure talking to you man such a pleasure this was a jam man i really enjoy, you know i started with scrambled eggs here it was a good jam
Uh, heck yeah, that's right, man. All right, man. Y'all be cool. I'll talk to you really soon, man. All right. Take care. You have a good one, man. All right. Peace. Peace. Later.